As I said, today's message, Thine Beautiful Garments, comes from this 52nd chapter of Isaiah, the first of the 15th verse, but we're going to primarily concentrate on that first verse, which says, Awake, awake, put on thine strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee, into thee, the uncircumcised and the unclean. We're talking here in a time in which the church is triumphant. The church is in a jubilant spirit. The church is overcome. It's come out of captivity. And the beautiful garments that he's talking about putting on, they were imputed righteousness to us where we put him on. We're clothed in Jesus Christ. And we see that this doesn't apply to the old Jerusalem. It doesn't apply to physical Israel. But it's a spiritual analogy for the end-time church to arise, to awaken to consciousness in Christ Jesus. The robes of the judgment of this world because we are ruled and reign with him. The church, the church is victorious. And part of our best lives, I, one of the televangelists or whatever, I think it's Joel Osteen or something, wrote uh, your best life now. Uh, but not necessarily I'm saying that your best life is now. But what I'm saying is we need to live in the victory that Jesus Christ has accomplished because it is finished. Now, don't say your best life now because we're still in a warfare and you need to be cognizant of that because the enemy is all around, Satan is all around even though he had defeated four. If you come from the country or whatever and lived around where you, even in the city or whatever, people tell you about a snake, a lot of times you could have been thought you'd kill a snake or you could have been defeated it. But if you're not careful, that snake still can render a lethal blow. It still can tap you with a bit of poison, enough poison in that bite to... to cause bodily harm to you and even death at some time. So Satan is still out there as a roaring lion, but he has no power over the victorious church. That's why I say we need to put off, pull off the robes of mourning. The, the defeatist and the, the pitiful state in walking what Christ has accomplished. The jubilee is here and he's returning that which was lost, that which is the canker worm had destroyed, the caterpillar had eaten or whatever. A secondary teaching of this uh, is in that many cat people in this day and time, they think that you can come as you are. It says the Bible says come as you are. They think it does not matter what you physically wear when they come in before God at the church. Uh, but it does matter. We see in the Old Testament about the garments of error. And uh, those of us that don't see a whole lot of value in the Old Testament or in our New Testament oriented, uh, and the church is under the mentality of casual dress, you know. You see them, even the ministers in casual dress now, they have 
casual or come as you are days, you know. A lot of times they have them when they come in in their pajamas or just regular clothes or whatever. That's not what the Word of God teaches in the Old Testament about approaching God. In the old days, the people used to say, you got on your Sunday go to meeting clothes. In other words, you put on your finest gear when coming before the Lord. And so these churches that are advertising all of this letting down the respect of this casualty to God, it reflects a matter of ignorance that they just do not know any better, uh, that they're just lacking respect, a lack of respect for God. But when he tell us and he's saying awaken, he's talking about a state of mind, a cognizant state of mind of who you are, whose you are, what duty you have to do, and to walk in that circumspectively. So the first point would be clothed in his righteousness. He says, put on thy strength, put on thy beautiful garments. Well, he's our strength. We're robed in him. Uh, in Exodus, the 28th chapter, when it talks about the high priest's garment, the second chapter through the fifth verse, it is good to remember the overall principle to appear before God covered with acceptable clothing. You know, a lot of us come before him dressed in lascivious manners. In other words, the church has become a dress parade now and the women wearing all types of things and the men are dressed in gay apparel or tightness or different uh, apparel. Uh, it's, it's, for, uh, it's for show. It's not for a reverence to God. It used to be even rock and roll bands and different groups used to dress in suits and uh, dress up when you're doing something before people. But we've letting it all, say, hung out. We're in our nakedness as the Laodicean church that thought they have no need of anything, but they were spiritually naked before the Lord. And as I tell you, sometimes when it speaks of being clothed, He's talking metaphorically about your spiritual essence. And that spiritual essence shows sometime in the physical. And that's why he told the Laodicean church that they were naked and had need of ointment, eyesight, that they may see. There's a lot of people in the church today that are in that bad situation. They can't see what's going on. They're not awoken to the times. They're not, they hadn't been alerted spiritually. They're, they're in a comatose position. The symbolic instructions carry through to both physical and spiritual applications. And the person who cares what God thinks will do his best to conform to God, to be transformed in his image and likeness, and that is pulling, putting off the old man and putting on the new man, but that we don't provide the covering, God provides the covering. God covered Adam and Eve with fine clothing because the fig leaves, that which man derives for, for himself, cannot support the purposes of it's not a proper covering for God. God provides our covering and Jesus Christ was that covering. He was that atonement. He was 
our perpetuation. He said, God said he'll provide himself a lamb. He says, listen at the 28th chapter in the 2nd through the 5th verse of Exodus. It says, you are to make sacred garments, that is, official clothing reserved for holy services, for Aaron, your brother, for honor and for beauty. In other words, these was for ornamentation. The only the high priest wore this garment that had the linen uh, ephod, it, it had the breastplate of righteousness and all of these emblems, and he only wore it in holy duties and the holy service. He didn't wear it in everyday work, and when he went into the Holy of Holies to do the work of the priest, he laid those garments aside. It's like Jesus, when ministering to his disciples at the last supper, when he got ready to wash the disciples' feet, it said he laid his garments aside. But when he tells us to put on Christ, to put on the clothing of righteousness, this is something that's spiritual, that we don't pull it off. That we, this becomes who we are, and it's a part of our Christian walk. It's a part of our Christian nature of who we are that is putting him on and pulling putting off the old man so it is figurative in a physical sense but literally it's spiritual of something that we're doing that's required of us for us to do to be clothed in him this takes your action on our part in other words we have to be doers of god's word and not just here it says, tell all the skilled and talented people whom I've endowed with the spirit of wisdom that they are to make Aaron's garments to sanctify him and to set him apart to serve as a priest for me. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod for the breastplate and a robe, a tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash. They shall make sacred garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, so that he may serve as a priest to me. They are art to use the gold and blue, the purple, the scarlet fabric, and fine twin twisted linen. So we've seen all of these things that represent deity, but we see one dressed in garments that's worthy of a priest, a king, or one that rules. It's as a judge when he comes into the chamber to judge the people. There's a robe that he puts on showing his symbol of authority, not just his inner clothing that he has on under there, but he has a covering. That robe is a sign of authority. It's like a policeman that can just stand out in the middle of traffic. Cars can be coming from four different directions or whatever, but when that policeman stands in that intersection and holds up his hand. Well, the authority that's behind that badge, that uniform, that covering that he has on, that uniform says the state, the city, that governmental agency is behind him. So you see all these cars coming from those different directions comes to a halt and follows which directions that he wave and points you to go because of the authority that he wields. So as we put on the robe of righteousness of Jesus Christ, as we put on his righteousness, we are to rule and reign with him. 
and it's by the word of God. So we have to be careful as to what we say and what we do because what we do is a matter of law and as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we're commissioned to walk by faith and speak and be led by the Spirit of God. It separates us. The Word of God separates us from all others in this nation, in this world, that's in the world. He said, I left them in the world, but protect them from the evil in the world. For what our job is, what we're commissioned to do, and we pray for each day that His will be done, that His kingdom is coming, and we're in not just a preparatory period, but we realize the kingdom of God is among us. That it is within us. Those that are filled with His Spirit, the kingdom of God is within us. And as we put on the virtues of Christ, the church, he says, your brothers, let them make the garment. So he had set gifts in the church, men gifted with the Spirit, to present the church as a chaste bride unto God without a spot or a wrinkle. He's given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. So if we listen at those instructions and walk therein, we rule and reign with him as priest. During the time of Job, we see where Job offered up sacrifices for his sons and daughters because perhaps they had sinned. We see he told Eli to get his house in order because the man in biblical nature, in biblical times, even speaking during the book of Corinthians, Paul showed the analogy as God is judge when he said that the father was over his household, that in Elijah he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers, but we must be men before we can teach or lead others to be men. We must be under Christ Jesus. He has humbled us, so he's our head. We have his protection. We have him as a covering. We have him as a leader. So we can't lead others or we can't bring our household into subjection under Christ if we're not in under subjection to Christ. That's why he says, submit yourselves ye one to another. And so we're helping make one another in the image and likeness of Christ and it's through his spirit. So we're not to follow those that are not spirit-led. We're not to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, every preaching and teaching out there, just because someone is quoting the Bible or using scriptures, that, that doesn't mean that they're actual children of God and that's the duel that Satan had with Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Satan would quote scriptures, but Jesus Christ knew and understand the scriptures just like we're to know and understand the scriptures. We're to arm ourselves with that same mind that was in Jesus Christ. So the devil is, is going to twist scripture. He's going to contort it to feel, feel his own needs and desires. And that's what we have today churches that are in that mode. Awake, awake. Put on strength, O Zion. In other words, this strength is an inner strength. It's not our strength. It's His Spirit working in us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. So this can't be about me. It can't be about self-centeredness. Now, reading of all the, the commentaries and things I've read this week, 
in the few weeks com- getting ready for this, they agree that this prophecy is yet to be fulfilled, and this is talking about the church in its end time. We're to see the strength of, of the holy people grow. They go wake up. It's waking a sleeping giant. Throughout the Bible, it seems as though Christ is waking us up to consciousness. Sometimes we use that same metaphor that, that to, to Christ said, Awake, awake, O God, to see the condition we're in. Not that God is slumbering asleep, but we've gotten out of the fellowship and the right relationship with God, and it puts us in a cursed state. It puts us in a state where we can't come before God and receive of God because just like Israel was, we are in rebellion. We are going against the things of God and sometimes our very own religion has caused these things. There's a general carnal security and spiritual drowsiness which has seized the people of God as the Laodiceans were asleep. They were slumbering. They were lukewarm. A non-exercise of grace among the church, at least it is not a lively church. It's, it's a sluggish and one that's not doing its duty. The church has fell asleep at the wheels. They're like the five bride, the five wives and the five foolish. It says they're all slumbering and sleep. But when the bridegroom called, those that are, were wise woke up and trimmed their lamps. That's because they were continually trimming their lamps as they go by. So the others that were not trimming their lamps, it says go and buy from those that have because if we share that what we have with you, we won't have enough for ourselves. This is the end time in which we are in. And it says, study to show thyself approved, a worker that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So what we have to have is the sword of the Spirit. That's the only offensive weapon in that mentioned in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter. All of the other weapons in that arsenal are defensive weapons. The shield of faith, the quench the fiery dots of the adversary. Because he's going to say all different type things and go utter things to get you on the wrong trail uh, to get you in that world state of mind. But through the shield of faith, we can quench those fiery dots because they come from nowhere. People come up to us and say some of the strangest things or say some things that are are, are going on in the church. I I remember telling someone, I say, I I see where you got that. God got you. God got you on this or whatever because when I was going through surgery or whatever one morning I was in the bed there and they came in the doctor had left out and I had the television on and T.D. Jakes was on and he was preaching but he kept saying well God got you God got you or whatever but see we reduced the sayings and the things of God to some common saying or whatever not knowing that God's word tells us that we don't have to rely on the thing like the bands they were saying at one time what would Jesus do or whatever because his word is fixed in our heart 
what God has said is fixed in our heart. So we don't get a common saying or whatever. We know that our salvation is secure in him and who God holds in his hand, the devils in hell can pluck you out. But see, when using that terminology, I hear a lot of people, and when he was using that terminology, as though the people can do as they want and that you can carry on in salvation and doing the things in an unrepentant state and that God has you, that you can do that. And you people say, well, God got you, God got you. No, he don't have you because you've gotten out of God's will. And the preachers will cause you to perish out that will because they're keeping you comfortable outside of God's will, saying there is security outside of the borders of the perimeters in which God has you in. No, chastening come from the Lord, and we must remember that those that are slain along the way, those that are not walking victoriously, and victoriously has a double-edged meaning there, and I don't have time to go by that. But the one that Satan gets are the stragglers, the one that's being left behind, the one on the fringes. That's why God says, utterly destroy Amalek. When he sends Saul in to utterly destroy the Amalekites, is because with the Amalekites, they observed the children of Israel, those two, two, about one or two million children of God coming through on their journey to the promised land. And we on our journey to the promised land. And like the Amalekites, they have those that's in government, that's in churches, that are in your family, that are in your homes. It says your enemy will be those of your own home. So sometimes it's your own relatives, spouses, parents or whatever that take advantage of you, that will oppress you or whatever. That's what Amalekite did. The Amalekites did. They got the scragglers, those that were on the fringes, those that were living older and couldn't keep up, those that really wasn't able to study their word and hold to these things of God, who had gotten into a fallen state. Not saying that they would, wouldn't be saved, but these are the ones that the wolf that comes in sheep clothing he got that sheep's clothing from a dead sheep or a sheep that he fleeced. How do you come in sheep's clothing? Wouldn't you have to kill the sheep to get his clothing? Yes. There are some that have put on Christ. There are some that didn't continually put him on and fell by the wayside. There are those that were overcome because of weak doctrine. A waywardness, a deceit. Not that they were lost, it's just that they didn't have the strength to overcome on this journey. It may be if early in the journey they were destroyed. So we must wake up and be alert because the devil is on the fringes. He's trying to get those that are not keeping up. The saints are weak in themselves. And un until we realize that we're weak in ourselves, but the only way we have strength is in Christ, we can't keep going outside of Christ. Jesus had warned the people that not a stone would be left upon the stone in the temple, and they were looking at that beautiful temple in Jerusalem. But Christ's words to his disciples is that when they saw these things happen to flee. You know, sometimes 
that enemy puts you on the run. He says, let him that is up on the rooftop come not down from the rooftop. Let him that is in the field, don't go back. Pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath day, a day of gathering, a day of rest. One could be taken and one left. So when this destruction came, Titus Vespasian came in 70 A.D., there were Jews fighting. The Pharisees was fighting to maintain the temple because their preaching was that God's not going to harm the church. God's not going to do this to his people. Those were the ones that were destroyed. The reason the Romans burned the temple and one a stone left up on a stone was that they would fight the Romans during the daytime or they would fight from the temple and run back up in the Jerusalem temple. After a while, one of the generals came in and says, if they're doing that, let's raise the temple, let's burn it down. And what they did, they tore the temple down. And as that temple was being burned and raised, just like the world today, as the world is burning, we if you can't see this world burning around you, you're blind and, and a weak and, a, and doesn't, don't have Christ. He says, come to me and I'll give you life. I'll give you strength. I give you that ability to see this darkness coming up on the world. There's no answer to these things. Christ is the only answer. He says, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life. There is no life. There is no life in anything else. That's why he says, be clothed in his righteousness. Because his righteousness is like a, a fireman's shield, his bestest garment, that you're covered from the flames of the fire. Because those that are not covered by Christ, they're going to lose all of their rewards. They're going to lose the stuff. They'll be saved, but as the prodigal son, he lost all of his inheritance. Because you remember he said, Father, give me that portion which has come to me. See, a lot of us in this life will receive that which we have coming. But a lot of us are laying up treasure in heaven. Uh, I look like, you know, Jesus kept his eye on the money box. A lot of people criticize the preachers or whatever for watching the money or whatever. But see, that, that widow that put in that three mites, each time when you get a little money, when God sends you a little money somewhere, 20 here, 30 here, 100 here, 200 here, 1,000 here, however much he sends, do you give God his portion out there? That $2 or $3 adds up. You remember I was telling you my sister Harris would sell Dixon cups and sweets and things out of her home. But we realized the significance of that now that she's not here. And see, God looked down at that poor widow that was put in the two mites and says she has put in more than they all. So it's significant that this tithing system was based on not how much you had, but did you give God his percentage out of that? Did you yield to God what was God? Or was you a God rock? You see, God loves a cheerful giver and those that do. So clothed that his righteousness is in his rules and his regulation because all of his laws are righteousness. That's what's in the word of God is righteousness. Now, a good soldier dresses appropriately, appropriately for the occasion. 
the state has a law watching out for people. Do you know you're supposed to ride a motorcycle with a helmet now and with boots on and not tennis or flip-flops? If you get in an accident, that's going to make a whole lot of difference. Dressing coming to the house of God was the same way. God described even the linen garments that they should wear, the undergarments, so that their nakedness wouldn't appear, but also that these linen garments, that they wouldn't sweat as though they're doing the work. You know, a lot of us toil and labor as we're doing the work, but we're not doing the work. It is finished. All we have to do is walk therein. Jesus has already did to have heavy lifting. He says, cast your cares upon me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these little minor afflictions and skirmishes we have, our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities. So in Ephesians, the first part we'll put are to put on, the clothe ourselves is the belt of truth. The belt of truth is the first piece of the full armor of God to be listed in Ephesians 6, chapter the 10th through the 17th verse. The passage begins with this admonition from the Apostle Paul to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You remember I was telling you to put on strength, but it's in the strength of his might. In other words, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. So this is not a physical belt. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, be solid, be strong thinking. You know, people into their 70s, 80s, and 90s now, have a, some of them have a sound mind. How much more so those that are in the church that God keeps with a sound mind and in solid thinking. That's why he tells us about the old men in the church. Now, I'm not talking about all old men because there are plenty of old fools out there. So don't stray away just being an elder older makes you wise. This is the key to understanding the armor of God, to be strong in the Lord. And that's what I say as we put on Christ, he gives us wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. All the pieces of the armor belong to him and come from him, true righteousness that is the gospel, faith, and salvation are all gifts of God to his people for their defense. All of these come from God. So every morning as I pray, asking him to clothe me with the full armor of God that I wore a good warfare. Now I told you that sword was the only one that was an offensive weapon. Because you remember the rod, he says his rod and his staff comfort me. Sometimes you have to learn how to wield that rod. You have to learn how to club the sheep in the head. You have to learn how to cut people or get people off you. Jesus used some stunning words sometimes. Some of his speech, just as with Peter, he says, get behind thee, Satan. He told Satan, he says, thou shall not live by every by bread alone but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth but you know how to have to know how to wield the word of God there's a lot of people wield the word of God incorrectly just because you quote a scripture or use in scripture that doesn't mean you've used a proper application and that's why I say it's a double edged word because with it you end up condemning yourself 
that knife is cutting both ways. It's cutting the one that's wielding that knife. You don't know how to wield a knife or or wield a weapon or whip or whatever. You can hurt yourself with that thing. You can pop yourself with that thing. Mm -hmm. So we have to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and sometimes you have to get him off with the word of God. The belt of truth is the first part, as I was telling you. And that truth, it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it is only through him that we can come to God. Without truth, the rest of the armor would be useless to us. And we would not have the spirit of truth. We have to have, because truth gains the victory. The belt of truth of the spiritual armor holds up the sword of the spirit linking truth to the word of God as you gird up your loins that truth it links it to the word of God girded up your minds and the loins you're writing his law upon your heart because as that law is written upon your heart and you have the breastplate of righteousness imputed unto you it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ because your own passions and feelings can get you hurt. It can cause you death because, remember Saul tried to use it and say, well, we saved the best of the sacrifices to offer up to you. Sometimes kindness and goodness and everything, those things are weakness because the physical world can use being good. A lot of people say he has a good heart. Well, they, they say, well, the highway to hell is paved with good intentions because that's the way you talk. And a, a lot of my relatives and people be talking about doing good, and, and, and I like that or whatever, and I understand that, but it doesn't mean anything to me when somebody that go to, don't go to church say, I love you. When people that don't do these things and follow God do good or whatever it's just physical good and you remember I told you it's natural good and anything that is natural it is enmity with God the carnal man or the carnal mind cannot please God you must needs be born again it has to be spiritual it has to come from God the only way you can do that is that God be your father and that you're born of God not born of the world the word of God is truth. That crucial piece, that armor holds up, that belt of truth, without an understanding of the truth, we're left vulnerable to being carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, and by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. There are people out there scheming. They said, on the news the other day that the state computers had been hacked. There's a website I have to sign on to the go to do a little job that I have to do. But it has added added security features to where it takes me a good while to get on there because now you got to double boat your security because somebody's trying to tap into your driver's license to get your social security numbers to apply for credit and do all. It's a dangerous world out there, both physically and spiritually. There are people out there that's doing they sleep. They don't get sleep unless they devise schemes to do people harm or to do the wrong thing. When a soldier suited up for battle, the helmet was the last piece of armor to go on. That helmet, because 
you get hit in the head, you know, it's going to cause dizziness or you will get discombobulated. And me and my wife be talking about what we see on these shows or whatever, and they putting on these bulletproof vests and all that. I'll be asking, why they don't have something to go around the head, you know? If somebody shoots you in the head, you also going or whatever. A headshot is a fatal shot. That's why when it says you shall bruise his heel, it says Satan shall bruise our heel. It's going to be a fight, but then it says, but he shall bruise your head. Jesus bruised the serpent head. That was the fatal blow. The one to the head was the coup de grace. It finished him off. A helmet was vital for protection, protecting the brain and the command station for the rest of the body. In football, they have a lot of things going on, and they entered in that brought the doctors and everything in there because a lot of these players was getting hit so hard or whatever, and they get a concussion. That brain bounces around in the head, and they have to follow concussion protocol to make sure you seeing and hearing the right things or whatever. And they're redesigning the helmets and everything because... With that head, you're getting some pretty hard licks to the head, and it throws everything else off. So uh, if the head was bad, badly damaged, the rest of the armor, armor would be little use to us. Now, salvation is not limited to a one-time act of the past and the future. And that's why I say when those that are preaching and preaching say, well, God got you, God got you, well... Maybe and maybe not. Because you may have a false profession of faith. There are people that are not repentant. The, the church, uh, the vast majority of the church today is an unrepentant believer, believers who hadn't come to God in the right way. That's why those churches you read in the book of Revelation, Jesus tells five of them to repent quickly because I have something against you and I'll come back and fight against the church. He has to purge the church. That's what I say. He has to condemn sin in the flesh because there are a lot of them that are in the flesh and not the preachers and people are trying to say, well, you're just a carnal Christian. Well, that's a paradoxical statement. If they're carnal, they're not a Christian. They may be a Christian that had had been fully sanctified, but God's word is supposed to be washing and cleansing us. All of that carnality is supposed to be taken away. That when he justified you and put it in the right state, that's why Paul says the Corinthians were yet carnal. You notice that church went out of existence. The church at Ephesus was the church in, in Turkey there, and Paul preached to that church that's the one he was telling to put on the whole armor of God. Now they had every spiritual gift in the church of Corinthians, but that was the church that Paul rebuked. If you look at those two letters to the Corinthians, they're full of rebuke, especially the second Corinthians, that he was saying how terrible those people were. You know, church people are some of the worst people it is at times because those are the people like the Pharisees was was holier than thou that look down on other people because you think you a child of God you think you God's gift to man and you don't even have love 
You know, and that's what they was talking about this last administration that we had. It was one of the worst leaders. They had one of the worst leaders, and it showed just how messed up this nation was. The people with Christian nationalism and all of this, it's nothing worse than that old analogy that the old people would use, the snake in the grass. In other words, you've hid yourself. Paul was talking about those that use their cloak, their covering as a cloak of mischievousness. You know, it's a lot of preachers that are stealing. That are, that's why they say in the Catholic Church when they develop the orphanages and things because most of those children that was in the orphanages and things belonged to the priest and those within the church because they make a rule of abstinence, but yet and still their physical nature hadn't quenched, so the children was for the preachers and the deacons and things. That's why you have these sexual scandals in the Catholic Church because they forbid their priests to marry or whatever, but that which is carnal, that which is natural, it's going to come to the front and it guised itself in homosexuality, homosexual and sexual abuse of the, the, what they call those altar boys and everything, the sexual scandals that was in the Catholic Church. Because you, Paul says, better to marry than to burn. If you can't do without sexual relations and everything, it's better to marry. God hadn't made all of us eunuchs. But you shouldn't live a life of promiscuity, of living in debauchery. That's what Rick Warren, when they put him out of Saddleback Church or whatever, and the Southern Baptist Association stood and says that we have to stand our ground and they can't have women pastors or whatever. But they were showing over a half million people left that that church organization last year because why are you always coming after the women and abortionists and everything? Well, if they get aborted like that, those children have to come from somewhere. What about the men? Are you persecuting the men? That was happening during Jesus' day. They brought the woman caught in adultery, but where was the men? Yeah. So they looked in the SBC and they found out the scandals, the sexual things that was going on. It's just not in the Catholic Church. Now, even though these scandals involved the women, that the men were going with the women and oppressing them and sexual harassment and all of these things. So we see sometimes if you're not converted all the time, if you're not fully converted, if you're not repentant and everything, you can be a professor of God's word, but he calls them a hypocritical nation. He called Israel a hypocritical nation. They were saying one thing and doing another. That was the same as the Pharisees. Human nature, human depravity doesn't change. Man, a uh, leper doesn't change his stripes. As we continue to go on with this clothing, it clearly indicates that the conflict with Satan is spiritual, and therefore no tangible weapon can be effectively employed against him and his minions. Against him and his demons, there's no weapon that form against him because Jesus left him loose 
to where whereby we would have to have spiritual weapons to put him on. So we were not wrestling against flesh and blood, so we have to use prayer and some other devices of God. We have to be fully equipped of God. We're not given a list of specific tactics that Satan will use. However, this passage is quite clear that when we follow all of the instructions faithfully, we will be able to stand and we will have a victory regardless of Satan's strategies because that's why we put on the whole armor of God as having on that whole armor of God. A lying tongue is one of the things he describes as detestable. And if we would know the truth, we would know where righteousness is because that's what we're standing in. We don't have to learn all of these other doctrines and everything. We have to know the true doctrine. We have to have the truth. If you have the truth, you're like an FBI agent. You don't study counterfeit money. You study the real. Study Christ, live with Christ, live within his word. We're therefore exhorted to put on truth for our own sanctification and deliverance as well as for the benefit of those who witness it. Now, we'll go on with this in a different, a little bit different time. And we'll make this part one and come back 